Hello, everyone. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to be discussing the 1991 blockbuster Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, starring Kevin Costner, directed by Ryan Reynolds, also starring Morgan Freeman, Christian Slater, Alan Rickman, and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. All-star cast. And there's a couple cameos in there, too, for uh, keen-eyed people. So this is a star-studded cast. And you're going, you may be surprised to hear that this $48 million film, so granted, this is 91, this is expensive, it made $390 million at the box office, which is a huge return, even today. Back then, it's incredible. But despite its box office success, this movie was largely, with the exception of uh, Rickman as Nottingham, this movie was pretty much panned universally, although... I would say content that this was remembered well by our generation, but that, that's another conversation. I'm getting to it for this one, several golden raspberries, which are for the worst movies of the year. It's remembered kind of, this is probably one of the warning signs that we should have seen a water world coming, but uh, I actually really like this film. I remember it really well. I think it's so much fun. And one of the things I like about it is even as, as you go back, I feel like some of the things that, that don't age well, while still problematic, aren't, they're not ruining the movie for me. They're just kind of giving it a little more of appeal or, or fascination sometimes. But that's Seth, throwing it to you. Yeah, it, it did uh, surprisingly well at the box office. I think, it's, uh, I think it was the movie that came in second place to T2 that year in terms of box office results. So it's like one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, second place is still pretty high up that list, but you're right. It's like pretty much universally pinned by critics. The Rickman part has kind of become this like cult thing in itself, I want to say, where people watch this movie just to watch Rickman. Well, he's also in a different movie. We'll get into it. His like, he is written in a good way as if he's in a different movie. He's the only one who realizes how absurd everything is. <laughs> well, I think uh, what I was reading was that he kind of just took the script and, and threw out most of his dialogue and rewrote a lot of his dialogue. And that's why it's so like kind of hilariously. And they were kind of hiding that from the producers that Rickman was just kind of doing his own thing. So, and also I, I think Costner ended up being upset and he felt like Rickman was trying to upstage him or something. And it worked. Like was trying to, yeah, <laughs> he was trying to get a hold of the edit too. I think that final scene between Rickman and Costner played out a little differently. I also know I was reading there was a scene where uh, Rickman, his mom is actually supposed to be that witch lady, and there's supposed to be this big sort of confrontation where she like tells him that she's his real mother and she has all these plans to sort of take over the throne, King James. So I thought that was actually interesting to take all that out because it's like they kind of go a lot more with like the boys in the woods kind of stuff. Overall, though, this movie does some crazy, like very crazy things. And it's like back then we would just kind of look the other way, I guess. Like all of the accents, outrageous. All of the accents are outrageous. Uh, whatever Costner is doing, it seems like the first couple scenes he's doing a British accent. And then he's just talking like Kevin Costner for like, large portions of the movie that's uh, exactly like, what happened he gave up it's an american accent he's not really he kind of speaks in a haughty way sometimes but it's not yeah. an accent it's he's not doing an english accent and like christian slater's kind of the same thing like, i want to say slater's like trying to be british and then the rest of the time he's trying to he's just christian slater well, so seth there i have to dis disagree with you christian slater while he also is not doing a british accent He's at least trying. He's really trying his best there. I don't know. 
he also feels like he's not from Britain, but maybe he's just something's caught in his mouth. Like he, he has this almost Monty Python <laughs> tone about him that doesn't really work for me. I think Morgan Freeman has one of the better British accents, although he is supposed to be from the Middle East. And that, I kind of ask now, is that insensitive? I know. It was, it was unclear to me. I, I mean, I mean, it's portrayed like this intelligent Muslim from Jerusalem, I guess. And so he, he must have picked up English along the way. But it's also like the first time you see him, you know, I had totally forgotten about the very opening scene where it's like Robin Hood and Morgan Freeman are in this jail. And they both kind of escape the jail and they don't know each other. But like, you know, because Morgan Freeman's not in shackles, Robin Hood was able to like cut the uh, rope and, and let him free. And then he's like, well, now I owe you a saving of your life kind of thing. That whole part I have found, uh, I don't know. Like there's, I don't think there's any other st like telling of this that includes that sort of Muslim type of character with Robin Hood. I thought it was interesting that they added him. I thought it was like a, actually like a cool idea. I mean, I, honestly, Morgan Freeman is probably one of the better parts of the movie because it's not as hokey as, as like all the other characters. But it also, I just don't think it had any relation to the original story of Robin Hood as far as I know. I'm by no means an expert, but I believe it's one of these characters kind of like King Arthur. There's been different iterations. There was a King Arthur myth 1500 years ago there was a myth thousand years ago there was a myth 500 years ago and there's a myth today right. and so the thing with the robin hood thing again i'm not an expert but i'm pretty sure it existed from kind of that nothing it's related to arthur but that type of late post-roman early medieval ages from like yeah, 600 to 800 but what i'm saying is what i'm saying is that might be the tradition and there could be a later iteration after it's been around for 100 years after the crusades where this is like a character that's added. So where I'm going with this is that we, one of the things I was going to ask was what, like, is this to you the most iconic Robin Hood? The only Robin Hoods I knew were the Disney Robin Hood and this Robin Hood. So for me, I, I'm not that surprised they didn't have the Muslim character in the Disney one. But uh, to me, it makes, I'm not that surprised. I, I can't speak to where it falls in the canon, but to me, it doesn't seem out of place to have this character, especially given the context of it being the Crusades. And also, I, while I don't think it works, his speech at the end kind of, I think it's supposed to work the same way Thor's hammer is in Ultron, when Vision lifts it up and it makes everyone trust him. It's this idea that this Moor who fought a Crusader is telling these people that he's someone they should support. Now, I'm not saying it has the same effect, but I think that's also, I think he's in there for a couple of reasons, uh, not solely for that moment, but to really work, it, it, he's providing attention, both, I think, as a friend who you don't really know if you can trust, even though I never deem him untrustworthy. But I, I think he's there serving a couple of functions. That's fair. It's, it's, uh, I, I liked him as an addition. Um, you're right, though. You know, the Peter Arthur thing has more myth to it. I actually do think the Robin Hood events did kind of occur. Like, they mentioned... Richard the Lionheart a lot at the Robin Hood story like that King Richard Lionheart was a real king I think that in England 1190 to 1194 or something mm -hmm. or around that period and so it's like and then he was off fighting the Crusades and so it's like you're right though I think there's a lot of there's sort of like real events and myth gets all intertwined especially in these like kind of stories and so 
the whole Morgan Freeman character, I'm perfectly fine with that kind of like being added to the myth, I guess. But <laughs> it would surprise me if that was kind of like part of the original like true story or something. But I think most of these Robin Hood stories usually start with him just showing up from the Crusades. Although I did, I did like that they like actually started in the Crusades kind of, and they were kind of trying to portray that. While we're there, I did have a question. How the hell did they escape the city? How did they find a boat? Where did they get the clothes? They, and I'm not saying I get why you don't do that. That makes it like a 10-part Netflix series if you end up doing a show and all that. But it feels like they cut out a huge chunk of the story there. And I, I'm not, I don't mind that they don't do it. It's already kind of a long movie, and I actually like this movie, and I, I think it does a good job with what it has. So I'm not saying I need another five or ten minute montage on the boat showing them becoming chummy, but it's just overall it's something that it's a big jump. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, you're supposed to kind of be like, well, Robin Hood's been to the Crusades, and he's come back, and he's had all this experience. But it's like you could show me a couple of shots of him, like how is he actually invading other, you know, people out to get him and stuff. Almost, yeah, I agree with you. I almost <laughs> would have preferred don't show us anything and just have him come back and have yeah. one line of exposition be like, have a zine say, yeah, Robin saved me. Now I own my life. And th that could be a joke. Everyone asks him, yeah, here I go again rewriting it. Okay, I'll stop. All right, that was just a question I had. Um, do we... Yeah, the, the... Uh, the pacing of the movie is like that's the most dated part of it, where it's like it feels like a long slog, honestly, when you're in the middle of this movie and you're just like, where is this going and how long is it going to be? The editing isn't great, honestly. It's told more like a play, I feel like. It kind of unfolds yeah. like a play. And the, the reason I feel that, and we talk a lot on this podcast about movies with what feels like multiple crescendos, especially when it comes to Marvel movies and action movies. But after the fight in the forest, after watching this movie, I really felt like it should be a three or four part Netflix series. Because yeah. after the fight in the forest, I was just whew, drained. And it's like, oh, there's another 45 minutes left. Wow. And it's another great sequence. And I'm not saying that they don't both don't work. But just to the pacing aspect, it's, the, the, there's a lot of action throughout. But I would say the last hour, you're almost pedal to the metal the whole way. It takes a while for some reason for like, the, and it's like, I can tell they did a, they put a lot of money into that set with the, the treehouse set with the, the like the bridges and the ladders and all the stuff they had in, the, in those trees. But it's sort of like, that all came across to me as very kind of like, like it's very sort of high school, hardy boys, kind of like, yeah, it's a bunch of boys in the woods, like playing tricks. And it's like, it was weird to me. I don't know. I mean, I understand that that's sort of like a, a central part of the storyline. But they really went hard in that section in terms of like living out in the woods and stuff. And I just didn't, it didn't make a ton of sense to me. It seemed like most of these people wanted to be living in houses with their families. And it was like they were sort of glorifying the wooden, like freedom of living in the woods or something. I also feel like the Celts were just totally misplayed. They're like the Celts <gasps> and whispered in hushed tones. And I'm sitting there and I'm, even today, I'm like, Okay, who the fuck are the Celts? And they're like, the cousins from the north, they drink the blood of the dead. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, that's, that's great. I've never heard of them before. You're talking to this witch. That doesn't sound so bad. Just uh, And then they appear, and they're, I, other than them dressing differently, I didn't see why they were so savage. And to your point, it's not like that tree floor was particularly well defended. In fact, they got crushed pretty quickly as soon as they arrived. 
uh, wasn't too impressed. Really living off the fact that the the like the people was haunted and that there were ghosts there, and that was like the primary defense. So that is, I do see that as a, a kind of cool storytelling device. At least I would. The myth of it being haunted, I, I can see that working. So I, I think I might be, I might be being a little unfair, at least in terms of that aspect. But at the same time, I still think that sequence, just the way it's paced and everything, it's. I'm not saying you end the movie there, but what I'm generally saying here is like I like this film, but it's weirdly it doesn't flow in a, in a congruent way i feel like and there were multiple yeah. times where because as you're saying it's it's long but there are a lot of parts where i'm really excited and there's so much action but yet still there are more there are a lot of times where i'm looking at the clock and i'm like how much is left where are we again what's yeah. happening and it's like i want to say there's three movies honestly there's the movie with, with robin hood and the, and the uh well i don't call them the lost boys i know they're not the lost boys though it's like the the merry men yeah, it's like him and those guys. Then there's this movie that's like Robin Hood and Maid Marian, and this little romance that never happened. And then there's just Alan Rickman's movie, which is just being a madman. And it's like, it's like all three of them kind of work differently, but all together, it's kind of a big mess. <laughs> I agree. And I can't explain why, but for some reason, it still works. It might just be the the charm from my childhood where I didn't care and. I have so much nostalgia, but I'll, I'll say this. It's looking at it with a critical eye. Incongruent is the only word I keep coming back to. Yeah. It's just so, yeah. <laughs> like I, it's, <laughs> There's a lot happening. Just the witch character alone. There's a witch character, and as you explained, it was cut, but you never fully understand her role. There's the sheriff. There's his cousin, the guy of Geeseborn. And, and they talk about Satan worshiping <laughs> She's the only real person like that seems to be practicing that. <laughs> exactly. And then you have the, the evil bishop, and it's they go to great lengths to sh building the politics of this world, which I appreciate. But at the same time, it's it, it's not that deep enough. We don't see any of the other nobles other, other than Lady Marion. So it's I it's a little too much. There's almost too many people. I mean, I don't even know <laughs> It's like you got little John, little John. You know, you got Friar Tuck. You got them all the man. Like I think they just were like, oh, we do have Christian Slater. Let's find some for him. Kind of. He doesn't need to be in the film, and that whole story. I mean, that's kind of a. We might want to save that for the gripes, unless we want to kind of dive into them now. I feel like we're already kind of. <laughs> well, wait. I can talk about what I like. Let's talk about what we like because I think the Christian Slater. To to me, that's a gripe in terms of that whole plot. And I have a very, I have some thoughts on, on why it's such an issue. So let's focus a little bit more on what we like, and then we'll dive into those uh, fun uh, parts. So things I like, um, I like the first, the first meeting the Costner has with the married men, where he has to like do the, the duel with little John, and he, he kind of like impresses them by actually like, you know, getting back up and like putting on a good fight and stuff. And it's like, it was an interesting way of how you went over a group of people. That whole thing kind of works. And also that seems a lot of just Costner being Costner. And it's like, you know, that's why you don't have them with a British accent. That's why you just have Costner be fucking Kevin Costner. Because like, he pulls off that scene. Uh, and also, you know, the action sequences aren't bad, honestly. I thought the last castle fight scene was probably my favorite of the action sequences, which includes like the, you know, the flaming arrow for the trailer. And uh, just the whole way they, you know, they kind of like storm this castle and trick these people 
get all their guys off the, the gallows kind of thing. And then he has this big sword fight <laughs> at the end with Rickman, which is, you know, a little ridiculous, but also very watchful in some ways. I really like it. I remember loving it as a kid, and I still think it holds up. It's a very funny fight. It doesn't totally make sense in terms of <laughs> sometimes they can easily kill each other and don't. But I watch it with the eyes of watching a cartoon and that sounds silly and I don't, and it is silly, but when you watch it with more of a, from the Disney angle where it's, they're not killing each other, they're more just dancing and talking and it's more yeah. of a ballet than an actual fight. Yeah, that's what it has more of that play feel. Yeah. And then it, and they're, they're literally hopping around and swinging these swords. It just, and that again, we talked about it incongruent. That's after a 20 minute, bare knuckle action scene that feels very real as people are being strangled to death and their explosions and it feels very visceral. Yeah, very gory, tons of action. And then it's this little jump fight, jump like cat fight. And they're both in tights and running around and cutting each other's hair and the girls getting involved and Rickman is just dropping one-liners. It's it's absurd, but you nailed it. Those action sequences, and I would even put the forest fight in there just for more so the visuals of it look really cool. Him falling into the smoke, and as we said, it doesn't really work practically as a, a tactical tactical defense, but it's fun to watch them destroy everything. On ropes, jumping off of stuff, and it's just like they—I mean—they did go to town in that treehouse setting and stuff. So it's like that's kind of where they put it to the most use is that sequence. It's—I uh, don't—I think the, I got annoyed at the part where it's like little John and his wife are like stuck with a kid, and I was like, oh, they're just playing the, you know, you know that they're gonna save the kid, get out of there. <laughs> I don't think that sequence is in a modern day version. I think you're right. I think it's yeah. a little dated. She has the baby. Of course, they need to have her saving the baby, and they, they gave her a moment, which I like. But she's also part of the get the greatest. Yeah, I think that she like fought in the cast sequence too. She kind of fucked up. That was a good. That was good. I mean, there are like like you said, there are all kinds of parts of this movie I do like. Let me ask you this, Jake. Yeah, hit me. Where was this waterfall out in the forest where May Marion's just checking out Kevin Costner's butt? Uh, that scene came up on me abruptly. I actually forgot about that, and then when I saw it, I turned to my wife. I was like, "Oh, this was actually like big when like when this happened. People were talking about this moment." I just got to give credit to Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner for being so forward thinking. In most movies, almost all of those movies would have had that reversed. And I like that they gave me Jerry in her moment. And who wants to? He doesn't want to see a little long distance Kevin Costner dom. It's a win win for everyone. You know, Costner was it. She was like, oh, I am into this guy. Yeah. I think she liked him already. Come on. She uh, she had a crush on him from when they were little. And then she saw the goods and she realized he had become a man, <laughs> Seth. So, yeah. Maybe it was. At this point in time, like he's showing his butt, he's just doing Robin Hood with an American accent, like he just gives no fucks, kind of. Even if you want to make the argument he's trying to do a British accent, he's doing an accent that no one else has in the entire movie. Like, there is no, he is not trying to fit in with this accent at all. And one more thing on that, I actually read in some deep internet research that Alan Rickman 
God bless. What this guy is such a professional. We need to make an award for him. He made the argument that the colonists who came over to America spoke more, they had accents that were more traditionally like the medieval ages. And so that his American accent and that the, for some reason, the isolation had kept our accents more pure while British had had more exposure and their accents had changed even more. It's total BS, I think. But he was basically trying to justify, he's like, no, actually, Kevin's accent is probably more correct than it would be. (laughs) Alan Rickman, look at him going to the map for the very writers, the very creators, the very movie that he so clearly didn't have much respect for as he rightly improved it with his dialogue. Watch him in Die Hard and then watch him in this and just kind of pretend that he transposed the character. Also, some of the lines where he's just like, you in my room at 10 o'clock tonight, you up there at 10.15. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, bring a friend. <laughs> yeah, bring a friend. My favorite one though in the whole movie, he gets pissed off about something and he's just like, well, Christmas is canceled. <laughs> like, Christmas is canceled. I, I wrote it down. He, he cancels he cancels Christmas after he ends the merciful beheadings. <laughs> he also there's an ongoing joke between him and his cousin about a spoon. He threatens to take out Robin's eye with a spoon at one point, and the cousin asks him, and the cousin asks him about it, and he's like yelling at him. He's like, because it's dull. And then later on, the cousin fails him. And he stabs him, and 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 then he says, with a, but he stabs him with a knife, and he says, at least it wasn't a spoon. And then he looks around, and all those men are staring at him, horrified. And he looks at the sword, and he's like, oh, good steal, and just walks away. That actually, that scene where he kills that. By the way, that guy, is on his I kind of like that actor. But that scene where he kills him actually is one of the better scenes in the movie. And the way that Rickman plays it so like nonchalantly is great too. Because the other actors are all acting very seriously. Rickman just is like, yeah, good steal. <laughs> Killed him. No, he's great. And he's got, that's, uh, I was marking them down throughout the movie. I've got a whole list. I won't go through them. He has so many. The only other one I want to note is he gets cut by Robin on the cheek at one point. And he has a statue he's very proud of, and someone defaces it with graffiti that looks like matches his stitches. And he sees it and gets so angry and tries to rub it off. It just, it's those little things that make his character, and it's silly, but it also feels even more real in a way, or at least funny or relatable. I don't know what the right word is, but it makes me like him. What you're kind of expecting is this deep, dark, totally evil guy, one note, but it's like, because he does it so over the top, it just it it spreads into the comedic side of it, and it like it makes it so much easier to take a breath from the bullshit with Robin Hood and just kind of laugh at Alan Rickman instead of like going from like you know intense stuff with Robin Hood and Maid Marian to like in an even more intense guy who's got all his evil plans. It's like nobody wants to deal with that. We look at with the sheriff of Nottingham is. I think they kind of lucked out. I mean, uh, it's the luckiest part of the movie that Rickman played it that way and that it actually kind of worked inside the movie. This, to me, feels like a role that he elevated, without a doubt. Whether it, even they write this role, it's if he didn't have anything to do with the dialogue, I have a hard time seeing anyone who could match the performance he's given. Also, with everything else that's going on, and as we said, this movie, it's not horribly made. It's not 
it's not a complete joke. Like the quality is there. At least yeah. <laughs> it's just as we as Seth, you put it best. It feels like at least three different movies. And <laughs> as we just said, that final action scene alone. There's also the scene where, where the friar is yelling at the bishop, and that's weird. Like that feels like it's in a different movie too. It just and I feels I feel hard that to keep them down. I would cut. Like I want to cut that the friar and the bishop stuff. Because it's like at the end of the day, I didn't really care about Friar Tuck and his like whole deal with that bishop in the castle. He's like, oh, take your money, let's go to hell, kind of thing. It's like, okay, it, it was Friar Tuck's moment. It kind of gave the opportunity for a good holy man to put down a, a corrupt holy man. But, but to your point, brings it around to the millennium, which is like sort of what Robin Hood, his yeah. whole socialist agenda, is, a, is about. <laughs> Yes, yes. Although this movie did mention the, the great question where Sheriff of Nottingham has the valid argument that I'm only being cruel to the people because Robin Hood keeps stealing from me. And the crueler I am is the more he steals. So like, instead of getting mad at him for stealing from me, they're cheering him on. Although, of course, the answer to that would be you've always been cruel. He just started stealing from you. So now you're getting what you deserve. That it, he doesn't realize that he was cruel before that, but it's uh, it, it, it's they don't. That's literally a one-off exposition line. They never go into it again. So I'm not going to give this movie credit for arguing with the moral gray area of a character that steals. But it was something that I just noted. I thought was interesting. I definitely yeah. I mean, there's a part two where they kind of they, find, they like stop a rich carriage and they're like, oh, this lady doesn't need this ring and i was like this is kind of straight up thievery like i don't support this <laughs> at the same time it's like i understand the situation with robin and all these people but um i guess i would prefer him steal directly from the castle than like any passers-by in the forest <laughs> i would agree you, you might have just turned off a potential ally exactly he may have his own beef against the the sheriff of Nottingham. Um, I, I, we talked about most of the things I liked, really. I mean, we talked about Rickman at length, so I won't go much further. I just really think he's the MVP. He steals the show. He, to me, is the brightest star in this whole film. And I, I like, uh, I like Master, Master Antonio. I do like the Yeah. And she was famously like. Uh, parodied in later movies and stuff and like people always make fun of this witch lady but i actually think it was an interesting idea to have like a satanist in a castle that you know higher you know noble people are listening to because they think she might have some truth and like i actually wish that they did kind of like make her more integral to the part and do that whole thing where she tells the sheriff she's the mother and stuff like that i actually i think it was a missed opportunity maybe it's like in 2020 that character plays a little more and they just like didn't want to go that dark back then but i think i think she honestly is one of the few characters that like you could go deeper with and they just did whereas like most of the other characters like yeah i get it like i don't need any more friar talk right now well i know you're not a big game of thrones fan what's really interesting is you talk about that character they're you're 100% right. Those that character's been recreated, and I. What's the joke? Uh, imitation's the sincerest form yeah. of flattery, and I can't remember, but it's something like mockery is an even greater form. Or, uh, the reason they do it, and the reason it's so mocked, is because it's so hard to do effectively. And Game of Thrones has several characters like this. I'll just name one for the moment, uh, namely being Lady Melisandre, the, the Red Woman, or the Red Priestess, and. 
that again, you haven't read it. You haven't read the books or seen the show, but what I'll say there is they use it well. And, and that is, that's good. And it's, it's not totally an uncommon motif. She's an inversion of the Merlin character from Arthurian yeah. myth. And the couple things to think to just keep in mind. And again, I'm not an expert, but from what I understand, they always talk about miracles in Christianity, especially in early Christianity. The power of it was the idea of these miracles and that magic and that only Christians could do magic. And that's why you wanted bishops and all these holy men there. You wanted God on your side. You wanted him after you. It was also for political reasons. But over time, that became a bigger part of it. And especially in London, that's where all the wizards were. That's where the alchemists were. And around this time, it was the royal people who could afford these witches. And there was a couple famous incidences of uh, poisoning circles. Italy is famous for having poisoning, witch, in, witch poisoning circles throughout Middle Ages, apparently going back to Rome. There was a poisoning scandal, apparently, with a witch, or a witch was cast, predicted the King of Scotland would die, and then they went after her, and there was this whole thing. There have always been witches and magical people in these courts. So it's not. It's not so much that they invented it, but this version of it was something new that I hadn't seen before. And I, I think it's it, it's stuck in people's minds for a reason. That's the thing. There are a lot of things about this movie, to your point even too, having the Muslim come back. That is yeah. stuck. I haven't seen that in other versions since, but uh, before, but since, that's stuck. And that was with the Jamie Foxx one recently. And the, uh, the little long lost brother hasn't stuck. So clearly that wasn't a hit. But it also the idea of made Marion being more formidable. I think that's probably more just a change of the times and the audience and the appetite. But this movie, there are several things I think this movie did for the better. It kind of changed not only movie and fantasy in general, but also this trope or specific point. Yeah, you know, I think that's cool that like Game of Thrones is probably like updated and adapted that character. Um, it's, uh, it's you're right. It's like you know, the, all these people in the Middle Ages were Christians for the most part, but I think that pagan ideology and that sort of like the secretiveness of that other half of society and stuff was definitely still there. And like, and you know, this was before like a lot of science. So people would believe all kinds of things. So it's like, yeah, you see a woman with a chicken egg and she spits bed and puts her one in. It's like suddenly you're believing her. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It was, to me, it was more interesting with some of the other characters. Well, so some of the other things there, too, or a play within that structure is, although Catholicism is known for its charity, especially at this time, it's very much catering to the upper class. And so, again, we're talking about magic and everything and just general ignorance. When people are poor and living in isolated places, there's going to be some superstition. And so it's the idea, if you don't know anything about religion, you'll find or make your own magic, so to speak. And so yeah. where I'm going with this is it doesn't it's interesting and to your point, it's I like how they, they don't explain it, but they show her making these weird concoctions. And it's kind of what you would think it would be. But I remember as a kid being like seeing those old cartoons of the witch the throwing things in the brew, but it was also felt like real and scary. It just was a really cool character. She's very like tactile. Yeah. And it's a little yeah, it's like it is a witch's brew, but it's also like, oh, this is like what a real witch's brew might kind of look like. Like, it wouldn't be this big cauldron, you know, it'd be like things she has on hand kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I, I liked her a lot. To me, 
she's also and just the one the, the number of villains in this guy of geese born is a little boring and the bishop but her her name is mortiana mortiana and the sheriff are definitely they're classics they're hall of famers the other is a real i think we should hit the other thing i like any other characters i like john connery coming in to play king richard uh cool cameo definitely cool at the time still cool now when i watched it when i rewatched it he's got like a couple lines does a full-on scottish accent no no apologies also i love the way he says lord moxley that's like one of his two lines uh i don't know how'd you feel about the sean connery thing i loved it i remember loving it as a kid it's a fun little cherry on top of the movie the only problem with it as i ask is where was the sequel with sean connery and kevin costner I don't care how you do it. You got to make that sequel. That movie's going to make a billion dollars back then. Well, I, you know, that movie Camelot. I know he was like, he plays King Arthur in that, I want to say. I think that comes that comes out a little bit later. But it, you're right, the timing would sync up. They would have been gone head to head with Yeah, it was like, it was kind of like he was playing that. I felt like he, it was an extension of that part or something. But I actually, you're, you're, 100, you're right on point there. This was before sequels. They cast him in that based on this, without a doubt. And uh, it does like, at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, this does elevate it a little bit. Like, it's a, it's a good use of a cameo. Anytime you can just be like, well, like I was gonna give it this score, but it left me on a good note, so I'll give it this kind of score, you know? <laughs> That's true. Hey, I'm an MCU fan, so you know I love the the Easter egg. I'm not gonna argue yeah. with ending on a little, a little high note. Um, do we want to get into some of the things we didn't love? It's a time for the gripes of wrath. Yeah, and we already touched on that. Like I would say, the editing and the pacing and just the tonal shifts, it's a little jumbled. It feels like there's a few cooks in the kitchen for sure. I, I mean, I know Costner had a lot of power in any movie he was in at this point. Um, so I'm sure that's tough for the director and stuff. Um, the accents, I think, are just a problem all the way around. Maybe, you know, Morgan Freeman, I think, will give a pass, but... Maybe he'll give Rickman a pass because he is British, but like everyone else seems like they're having problems. You nailed pretty much all of them. I, I'm not going to add too much there. I don't have a problem with Rickman's. I, th- I think I'm hoping he's now t- t- putting anything on there. I hope that's his genuine accent. <laughs> um, yeah, to your point, I, I think honestly, Costner not doing it, I think elevated everyone's everyone else's in a way, where I was somewhat grateful, with the exception of maybe Slater's. The only gripe I really want to note and expand upon is Christian Slater, as well as Scarlett. Yeah. His, the character doesn't work for me. First of all, the way he portrays it, he's like 25, and they're acting like he's 15, and I, I'm just not picking up the little brother thing. I, I'm more like, why is this Vagrant. Yeah, they, they try to have him kind of lust after being married a little bit, and then Robin Hood steps in, and it's like, no, nah, she's with me. And it's like, but they're too different of an age, and she seems so much older than Christian Slater. I was like, this kid seems 15. Like, he's not going to go out with this 25-year-old woman who's clearly into Robin Hood. And just the conflict, either, either Christian Slater, like, the actor needed to be older, or the conflict just needed to be set up better, where there's, like, multiple times where it's happening or something. But it's like, Basically a one-off where he's like, oh, I tried to get her. Robin Hood took her. Now I'm kind of salty towards Robin Hood for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I always thought he had a chip on his shoulder, and that just exacerbated it. And then when the reveal is that it's his long-lost brother, I remember being a kid 
and not really being moved by it. It worked for me when he's almost dying and it's like, oh, that's his brother. But at the same time, you're more worried about Wolf, the kid. And yeah, no, because you spent time with him and he's loyal to Robin and he's more important, at least to me, even now, than Will Scarlet is. I'm, I'm more worried about Wolf than Will. And it's just, uh, it's just a fail. And it sounds weird yeah. to be so hard on that one part of a movie that we've already acknowledged is not by no means perfect. But that whole character, talk about a movie that's long. Cut, you cut that whole character out. You really don't need him. And Chris is like, did not need no, he, cut, cut him out, give that time back to Mortiana and the sheriff and expand that history. Yeah. That would be, that would honestly, I would love that if that were possible. And the only other thing I'm going to note, I love this movie, as I've said. I think I've seen it a bunch. I've seen it a bunch. I know it was successful at the time. And I'm not just saying this because he doesn't do an accent. I don't think... Kevin Costner is the right actor for this movie. <laughs> I think I think you need like a Pierce Brosnan. I know this is way before he broke, but I, I just the well, whole time. Really know that it was, they originally asked Carrie Elwes and he turned it down. And that's how it's so funny that Carrie Elwes did Men in Tights, but it like originally it was supposed to be Carrie Elwes. Well, I had a question. Well, I, I, I was gonna say I had a question about what happened to Carrie Elwes' career, but at least now we know. Um, wow. Wow. If he had, what an idiot. He should have taken it. I mean, it would have been funny if he did. Yeah, I mean, one of those things, you're worried about getting typecast. Worry about getting cast. Then worry about being typecast. Carry on. Another thing we should just mention, Robin and Men in Tights came out a year or two after this as a full-on parody. And I mean, it was one of the more successful parodies of a movie I can remember. Where people might remember that more so than this movie. It was good, but it was it was probably in direct response to this. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to argue otherwise. Uh, I don't think it. I mean, it didn't destroy Kevin Costner's career. I I don't think Robin Hood didn't destroy anyone's career. I just think I think it's like it has a better reputation than this movie. Whereas, like, all you can say about this movie is that Alan Rickman's great. Whereas, like, most people remember Men in Science like pretty fondly. I think. That's true, and I'm not going to argue with that. But that's how much success this movie had. This isn't this isn't the room. This isn't the room where it was so awful, or the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, where no one saw it. This movie crushed it, and so that that's the only. It's hard to defend it. I don't know why. I don't even know why I feel like I have to defend it. No, you're right. So this came out two years later. You're right. They, they absolutely. But this movie only made this made less than a tenth, less than an eleventh of what oh, really? it made thirty five million. So I you and I mean, I was probably miserable. Well, my two think about us. We're the movie fans who we were ten, seven, eight when these came out. Whatever we were. So I'm not surprised. I'm also we need to do this movie at some point too, but um, but no, I mean, yeah, this movie. There's a lot surrounding this movie in terms of, and also but Kevin Costner at this point. Right. Previously, you were saying that you sort of saw this as the one time in the world, and I think that's totally true. Like, it's clear to me that that Costner is still just kind of cruising on being Kevin Costner, 
And, like, this is one of the last movies that I think was successful for him just because, like, he is fucking Kevin Costner. But, like, by the time we get to Waterworld, it's like, okay, man, like, this whole thing is falling apart here. <laughs> yeah, but what's going on? Like, okay, what happened to the world? It flooded? Interesting. Well, I mean, I also think, though, he is a strangely unique actor. There, he, he possesses qualities few other actors possess, both sort of, like, very charismatic and also both kind of annoying. Um, I was, it's, uh, it's hard to it's hard to think of other people to compare him to actually. See, I was gonna say he definitely has a type of charisma, but I, what I was thinking was he has more swagger than charisma. There's something yeah, about him that catches the eye, and I like just thinking about the Mary Men scene. I, I never had a problem with it as a kid, but after watching it this time, I'm by no means a great leader of men or anything. I just had a harder time seeing him as this figure. I, I knew his deeds were great. But when you actually saw him speaking and everything, he was more of like a trickster, and uh, he was he was always like talking trash, and he wasn't very serious, and he was playful, and I just didn't. And I know he's not a king. I know he's leading this band of merry men, but I just never got political leader or statesman from him, or even lord. I always got he always kind of acted just like a kid, and so yeah, it's a weird gripe. It's just I don't think he was a fully de- developed or three dimensional character. That's true. I don't I don't think this was Costner's best performance. But it, it does kind of just like his raw like his rock bodies. Now when he, now when he's like really going all out. Yeah. Um, the other I was gonna your other question about what if this is like the definitive Robin Hood. Um, I think for me it probably is. I know there's like an Errol Flynn silent movie that a ton of people reference that's supposed to be like this classic Robin Hood, but like I think I've seen like some clips of that. Never dove into that. Uh, you're right though, the Disney Robin Hood I can remember watching many times. I have seen the Ridley Scott Russell Crowe thing. Wasn't the big fan of that movie. Um, I don't know. It does seem like it might be ripe for someone to kind of like attack it again, maybe. But it also it's like. I'm not sure if it'll be done in a way that's like gonna really open my eyes. Kind of, this was a good. I mean, when they did this, I feel like it had been a long time before someone had done an adaptation of it. And it's like, I mean, for a '90s movie, I guess it, it was as successful as you're gonna be. Yeah, I mean, this is my favorite, or I guess this is my iconic version, or this is the version I always come back to. It's probably because I'm at that age, as we said. I was six when it came out, but that means I was seven or eight when it was on TV and I started watching it for real. And I watched it from eight to 12 or whatever till now, eight till now. Uh, I, it's just such an interesting film. Like it's, it seems like there should be a more iconic version of it. And that's the thing. And I've seen the Russell Crowe movie and it was bad. And then I saw the Taron Egerton, Jamie Foxx movie and it was somehow worse. And the, I think I would agree with you. And I would say that Robin Hood men in tights might be the best made in terms of what it's trying to do, or maybe it's the most successful in what it's trying to achieve. But to me, this is, this to me is the iconic. When I think of Robin Hood, I'm going to this film. And then the best, so I'd say this to me is my favorite Robin, Robin Hood film. And I love Men in Tights, but I'm just not giving it the bump because it's a parody and pretty much a reaction to this film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, anything else? 
I think I'm ready for final scores. I, I really, I feel bad. The one thing I want to say is I did like this movie. <laughs> I feel like I was just pretty hard on it. But it's funny movies that you, I mean, it's funny. There are movies that are likable that you just have to give a bad selection. Yeah, um, this score is going to be interesting for me. It's, uh... I will give Al Rickman Yeah, there's a couple things that are just lifting everyone up for me all over the place. Um... All right. Do you, do you want to go first, or why don't I go first? I can go first. Well, what do you go first. You go first. Oh, my God. Um, gosh. Uh, so, the, the biggest I'm going to give it is just, like, the editing, the tone, the time, the length of it. Like, all that is bringing it down for me. Um, I'm going to give it high grades for the action sequences. And for, you know, for Rickman and for Freeman, like, those are good actors giving good performances, even though it's a mess of a movie, kind of. Slater and Costner, I have to give negative marks, too, in terms of their performances. Um, boy, you know, I, I think you're, after I talk about sort of the, the Morgan Freeman character and adding him and kind of having more representation and then also doing the witch character, even though they might not have like done it fully, like she is in there. And like, we did have that whole conversation about it. So boy, I'm going to, this is going to be generous, I think, but I'm going to give it like a 5.9. I think it's like, like we said, we both like it. And it's like, there are things in the movie that are fun and actors worth watching. But like overall, the movie is bad. <laughs> it didn't do it like it. It doesn't function the right way. I'm so glad you said that. That I'm giving it a six three, and I was having a real hard time validating it. But I'm looking at it, and to to your point, I'm looking at the cast. I'm saying half the cast is not either. They're not doing a good job, or they're not doing enough to make me say, "Wow, they're great." Namely, right. the cousin guy of Viscount or whatever. He was a guy of Eastbourne. He, he was, well, he's a great actor. He's a little one note in this for me. It, it didn't really work. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, Rickman, Freeman, the action, the humor, the villains. And I forgot, they, they do a pretty good job of the representation in general, like giving a lot of the women things to do. That sounded so sexist. You guys know what I mean. They, they're giving the women, making them part of the story, made Marion's formidable. The wife is part of the escape. The witch Martiana isn't, she's actually, you find out the, the power behind the throne or the power behind him. So you have the Azim character. So I like it. I'm really also just trying to justify the 6.3. Uh, but for me, the reason I'm getting it that much, you mentioned that the length and the pacing definitely hurt it. Costner. There are, there are a bunch, but Costner and Slater, most notably, aren't so strong. Um, Master Antonia as Maid Marian is fine. She's not, I, I like her, but she's not, I don't. Yeah, I, on the one way or the other, it's like, she does what she does. Yeah, she, she's fine. I'm not, it, she doesn't hurt it, she doesn't help it. Yeah. So for me, and the reason I'm giving it a 6.3 and the reason it's not below my 5, even though it's long and with not well paced, which is usually a killer for me, the things it does well are the things I love, namely the humor, the villains, and action. And they have enough of those things, especially towards yeah. the latter half of the movie when I should be getting bored, that I can power through. Because you're either in these action scenes or preparing for the action scene with the good guys, or you're watching Alan Rickman go crazy. And both of them are awesome. So it, it makes me, I can deal with the actual nonsense that's occurring. <laughs> 
I can also see, I think it's totally fair, like, uh, you know, my brother, I think, would probably just be like, this is a horribly long Kevin Costner movie. It's just absurd to be, you know, to think easily under a three. Like, I, I have no problem with somebody having that take either. I think we can kind of give it nostalgia points just because <laughs> we have sort of relation. But it's like, I can easily see somebody sitting down watching this and just be like, this is a horrible movie. I, I feel like the best way to describe it, and please check this or give a better analogy, it's like saying your power forward is going to take 50 shots from the three beyond the three point line. And you're just, everyone's saying that won't work. You can't do it. You can't win a game that way. And then you put Kevin Costner out there and he just goes ham and you win a game beyond all reason. By no means you have won this game. And it's not even a playoff game, Seth. It's just a random game and you won it and everyone's so excited. And then you realize that Kevin Costner is playing a British man with an American accent, and you just and your you, your head wants to crumble in on itself because the logic is just collapsing like a dying star. That's a, that's a good analogy. Yeah. It just I don't. It's every just think about that. He's playing Robin Hood as, as an American. Imagine if I'm just. Imagine if they did Superman, if Henry Cavill did his British accent. People would lose I think their right. shit. I feel like it's still on the if you got, you know, the uh, Davy Crockett and, like, the, <laughs> the Battle of the Alamo or something, and we'd all just be like, what the fuck is Benedict Cumberbatch doing? Like, what's Davy Crockett? <laughs> if Robert Downey Jr. did an American accent to Sherlock Holmes, you would, yeah. it wouldn't work. It's, oh, what did that happen? Oh, that... <laughs> he tried. But again, he just did the haughty. Oh, his accent is better than whatever. Uh, yeah. I like the movie. His accent's better, although I don't know if it's British. It's an accent. He's doing an accent. We we will never truly know until Sherlock Three comes out. Should we uh, should we put this one to bed, Seth? Let's put it to bed. Want to say anything to your friends? Bye. Bye.